Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth yet spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. Uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord uh, as we celebrate Easter Sunday. Amen. Um, Resurrection Sunday, right? Right after the Passover. Amen. You know, there was, uh, there was a church service that where this five-year-old boy, he, uh, he was going to be part of the Easter play, and he had a line play. Just a simple line. All he had to do was say, uh, you know, the verse, Luke uh, chapter 24, verse 6, that, um, you know, it says, he is not here, he is risen. And unfortunately, he couldn't remember what to say when the play was going on. And the director uh, off stage had to quietly remind him of his line. So he gathered himself, you know, like a, a good actor would do. And uh, he confidently grabbed the microphone and he triumphantly shouted, he is not here, he is in prison. So. <laughs> I also think of the story of a guy named Jim. He was uh, leaving after Christmas service when the pastor greeted him and said, you know, Jim, it's time that you join the army of the Lord. We need to see you every Sunday. And uh, he said, I'm already in the army of the Lord, pastor. And, uh, you know, the pastor said, then, you know, why do we only see you on Christmas and Easter? <clears throat> and uh, Jim looked to the right, to the left, to the right. And he said, I'm in the secret service, pastor, in the secret service. <laughs> some time ago, they found some fingers years ago. They found some fingers and lo and behold, they were Buddha's fingers. Yeah, I know. Big deal, right? And uh, they were sent to the emperor of China as a gift uh, during the Tang Dynasty. This is actually a true story. And they were later forgotten about. And then they were found again in 1981. The fingers of Buddha. Okay? It's a big deal. And uh, the finding was a sensation to Buddhists everywhere. And the bones are now, even today, visited by Buddhists everywhere. You know, when I read that story, I began to think, you know, if someone claimed that they found a finger belonging to Christ, no Christian would believe them because our faith is founded on the fact that Christ resurrected. He rose from the dead, and guess what? He has all of his fingers. Amen. <laughs> you know, many other uh, religions, they celebrate a dead Savior, if you will. <laughs> what kind of Savior is a dead Savior? Amen. <laughs> On one occasion, Michelangelo, the great artist, anybody ever heard of him? He turned to his fellow artists in the spirit of indignation. He was upset and he said to them, why do you glorify and you keep filling gallery after gallery with endless pictures of one theme of Christ that is him in his weakness? Christ on the cross, and most of all, Christ hanging dead. Why do you concentrate on uh, this passing episode as if it were a lasting work? 
as if the curtain dropped on him with this disaster and defeat. This dreadful scene, it lasted but a few hours. But to the unending eternity, Christ is alive. The stone has been rolled away and he rules and reigns and triumphs. Michelangelo was upset at his fellow artists as how they depicted Christ. You know, we could sometimes look at each other as Christians and be upset with each other as to how we depict Christ through our life. As if he is dead, as if he is still on the cross, as if he is sad and, and downtrodden. But our Christ is risen. He is risen in victory and he has all power. Amen. People wonder why, why do we do the things that we do as Christians? You know, one of the things that I've learned in, in my lifetime is that whenever you do anything in life, it's good to know that there's a purpose for it, okay? And in order to get to the purpose, we have to start with the simple question, why? Why? For us, saints, Easter, or the resurrection, is our why. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 12. I'm reading from New King James Version of the Bible. If you have a different version, please read that. We'll get to the same place together. I trust the Holy Spirit. Amen. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 12, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and he says these words. He says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he is raised up whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If Christ is not risen, what a shame it is for Christians. Whatever we do means nothing. All of the things that we talk about, atonement, grace, forgiveness, overcoming, whatever it may be that we talk about, it all means nothing without the resurrection. But because Christ rose from the dead, you know, the Bible talks about him being raised by the Holy Spirit, but when you're raised by the Holy Spirit, you're resurrected. That's different than Lazarus. Lazarus came back and continued his old life. Jesus was resurrected from the dead as we will be with a new body. So what does that mean for us? Well, mainly it means that you are forgiven. You are forgiven. It means that God has canceled your debt of sin. You had a debt, but God has canceled it. He didn't put it on pause. He didn't put it on the that he might pick it up and remember it later. But God has canceled your debt of sin. Forgiveness is the cancellation of debt. Come on. 
You know, in the New Testament, New Testament times, if a man owed another man some debt, he would write out a debt certificate, not a death certificate, but a debt certificate, okay, of what was owed. But then when the debt certificate was paid in full, he would nail it out in a public place. He would nail it and place it up so that all would know that he was free from that debt. We need to nail up our debt certificate this morning that all will know that we are free. We don't need to be Christians walking around with our head down, afraid of corona, afraid of the economy, afraid of the weather, afraid of aliens, afraid of whatever it is that people are afraid of. Because our Christ is risen and he rests, rules, and abides at the right hand of the Father. And not only is he the ruler of you and I, not only is he the ruler of earth, he is the ruler of the universe that he created. Come on. Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 and 14 says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you of all of your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Your debt of sin is canceled. It also means that God loves you with an unlimited love. Not just we use this word unconditional love, but we need to understand that God's love is unlimited. You are forgiven by a father who loves you with an unlimited love, whose patience is inexhaustible. Come on, parents, we would know something about that word. <laughs> who knows you and your weakness in your weakness and still loves you. A father who rejoices when you turn from your sin, whether that be a moment of sin or a season of rebellion that some of us have been through. Come on. And some may be in right now. God rejoices. Our father rejoices when you turn from your sin. I'm reminded of Paul in Romans chapter 8, and I love this passage of Scripture when he so boldly proclaims, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress? Shall persecution, famine, nakedness? Shall peril, even sword? He says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Things I don't even know about. Anything that's coming, none of that, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, not even your sin now should separate you because he's made a way for you to come to him. The, the veil, the curtain is torn. The door is open. And Jesus is the key. He is the key. The door is open. Sin shouldn't even separate us. Why? Because where sin does abound, grace does that much more abound. God's grace is limitless. It also means that we need to stand on that promise. Stand on God's promise of forgiveness. You know, some people punish themselves for sin instead of standing on the forgiven promises. You know, one time, a story about a father who was walking his daughter through a big prairie up in Canada. And he looked out. They were just out for a walk. 
But they were in this open plain, this prairie, and he looked and he saw that there was a fire. And the fire was bigger and bigger and it was getting closer. And all of a sudden he realized that they had no way out. That there was nothing that they could do. They couldn't outrun the fire. So what he did was he took and he, he burned some grass that was all around them. Come on. He burned a big, large section of grass. And all of a sudden, they stood right in that section of grass. They built a fire right there. And once that fire burned out, they stayed there. And as the flames approached them, the girl was terrified. But her father assured her, the flames can't get to us because we're standing. We're standing where the fire has already been. Some of us as Christians need to understand you are standing where the fire has already been. Your sin is canceled. You're standing on ground that is where the sin is, the debt is already taken care of. You don't have to worry about paying it back. It's already been paid. You're standing on that patch of ground where the fire of the sin can't get to you. It's where you're standing. So the question is, have you definitely accepted God's forgiveness? If you say things like, I hope so. I think he has, but I still feel bad at times. I, 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 I know God can, and I'm, I'm slowly accepting his forgiveness. I believe, I think. Listen, knowing forgiveness but not accepting forgiveness is like a man who uh, either buys or is given uh, or, or wins a new car, brand new car, and he has it in his driveway, but he still walks everywhere he goes. People comment on how beautiful the car is, and he agrees. It's beautiful. He keeps it clean. He reads the owner's manual. He knows everything there is to know about the car. He's familiar with every facet of the car, yet it does not accomplish for him what it was intended to accomplish, and it's all his fault. The car, no less, belongs to him. Forgiveness, no less, belongs to you. It belongs to you. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. This is the part I like. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He cleanses you. He cleanses you. A lady once had a handkerchief. It's her favorite handkerchief. And she spilled some ink on it. There was an ink blot on the handkerchief. And she said it's ruined, and so she threw it away. Well, nearby there was an artist, and he saw her throw this handkerchief away. And so he reached in, and without her seeing, and he, he grabbed the handkerchief. And a little while later, he gave the handkerchief back to the lady. But it was so changed that she could hardly believe it was the original. You see, using the ink blot as the basis, the artist had worked around it beautiful artistic designs, changing what was ruined into a thing of beauty. How many know that he'll give you beauty for ashes? If you're a person that feels like you've been ruined, God will take you and he'll give you beauty for ashes. He'll take the thing that you think is ruined and it'll tur he'll turn it into something great if you allow him to. If you'll stay on the potter's wheel, sometimes that means he needs to break us. Sometimes it means he needs to, to, to put the fire under our feet. He needs to burn us down so that he can mold us into what he wants us to be. 
Christ is raised from the dead. You know, Christianity is the only so-called religion, and, I, and you know how I hate even calling it a religion because it's really not a religion, but for the purposes of this illustration, Christianity is the only so-called religion, come on, where uh, the leader not only sacrifices himself, but his followers uh, realized that he was resurrected from the dead to reign forever. No other religion can make such a claim. All others are about do, and Christianity is about, come on, done, done. In this passage of, Christ, uh, of Scripture, Paul elucidated to, a, to an extent that is unbelievable to me as, as to all the reasons that we serve our leader, our Savior, Christ Jesus. Matthew 28 Verses 5 and 6, the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. As he said, he would come see the place where the Lord lay. So what does this mean for us? What does his resurrection mean for us? First of all, it means that the enemy is defeated. Our enemy is defeated. Your enemy is defeated. Uh, I, I like the way Paul put it to the church at Colossians in, in chapter 2, verse 15 of Colossians. He said, having disarmed the principalities and powers, he took all their weapons. for they don't, they don't have any authority. He disarmed them. And he made a public spectacle of them. Come on. Triumphing over them in it. And then poverty is defeated. I don't get too many hallelujahs on that one, but listen to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, No one knows the pitch of poverty like a person who has once been rich. You have to understand that it was great poverty just for Christ to become a man. Humanity is a poor thing when it's juxtaposed against a deity. Come on. I mean, that was poverty for Christ just to become a man. And then remember this. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. But remember this. Christ, while he was here, he was a servant of the Father. We would all say, yes, Jesus said that he was a servant. He was a great servant. But do you realize what that took Jesus to be a servant? He's, it says it in Scripture, it says, though, he counted it not robbery to be equal with God. He is God, yet he took upon himself the form of a servant. So please don't take a poverty mindset as if all the things that we lose will please God, as if living a downtrodden False humility type of life will please God. No, you walk in victory. Your father wants you to walk in victory. What parent wants their child to walk in defeat? That's why Christ died on the cross for us to walk in victory. We live in the kingdom of God. Live in the kingdom of God. Poverty is defeated. Sickness is defeated. Isaiah 53, 5, but because of our sins, he was wounded, beaten because of the evil we did. We are healed by the punishment that he suffered, made whole by the blows he received. 
It's defeated. He defeated all of those things. Oppression is defeated. You don't have to be oppressed by generational curses. Psalm 146, 5 through 7 says, Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to prisoners. You are no longer slaves. You are no longer a prisoner. You are not subject to the ways of this world. You are not subject to generational curses. You are not subject to those things because Christ has freed you. When he died on the cross, you are free. And then most of all, it tells us that sin is defeated. Sin is defeated. 1 Peter 2.24 says this, in one version puts it this way, says he carried his own body on the cross. He carried in his own body on the cross the sins we committed. I need to say that to you again. He carried in his body on the cross the sins we committed. So he came from being deity, poured himself into flesh, which is a polar opposite of deity. Come on, somebody. And then submitted himself to his own creation. And all of the sins that you committed throughout your lifetime, and every sin you'll ever commit, he already took it. Blows your mind, doesn't it? He already took it on his shoulders. And he was nailed to the cross, and the price was paid for your sin. We need to walk in our forgiveness. And by his wounds, we are healed. Why do we serve Jesus? Why? Because there is no other choice. Jesus is the only way. John 14, 6 says that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, come on, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. I like the way the Amplified puts it. It says, Jesus said to him, I am the only way, come on, to God and the real truth and the real life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's the Savior that we serve. Not someone who they found his fingers over here. Where are they going to find next? His toes? Maybe his belly? I don't know. Come on. My Savior lives. My Savior is the Lion of Judah. My Savior gave his life that he would have all power in heaven and in earth. It was given to him. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And no one can defeat him forever. His kingdom lives forever. Why do we serve Jesus? Because he is the only wise God and he is the king forever. Somebody give the Lord some praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we need to know today. That if you come to know the Lord Jesus in a very personal way, if you would commit your life to him, believing in your heart that he died on the cross for your sins, that God raised him from the dead, confessing it with your mouth by the power of the Holy Spirit, and if you would confess that with your own mouth, you will be saved. Your eternity with Christ, 
if you don't already know him, will begin today. Not when you die and go to heaven. Your eternity with Christ will begin today. Your salvation is sealed.